here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello and welcome to Lucha of the Hidden Temple for the week of March 11th, 2015. My name is Dr. Nove and this is your VoicesOfWrestling.com Lucha Underground Review. For an episode that I thought was pretty good, minus this turd in the middle. It was kind of like a sandwich with two really good pieces of bread and then eh, you got spam in the middle here. And we'll talk about the spam when we get to it. But first, let's start off with... Pentagon versus Arhenes. This is a good match for what it is, and, and it definitely is the match that needed to happen to advance the Pentagon story. Arhenes is presented as more credible than Ricky and Vinny and Famous P, or Famous B, but Arhenes gets a little initial offense, and then it's all Pentagon Jr. Pentagon Jr. shows us a few new moves, too, in his arsenal, including a pretty sweet gorilla press slam into the turnbuckle. That looked awesomely brutal. And those kicks are stiff, and this guy's a goer. I, You know, it's no secret. I like Pentagon Jr. I think Joe Lanza likes Pentagon Jr., too. You should probably like Pentagon Jr. I think that that's just what a sensible wrestling fan likes. Why? Because this guy is no nonsense. He's a shit kicker. And that's sort of the problem with Pentagon Jr. in terms of this story. What I mean by that is Pentagon Jr. is supposed to be a heel. Stryker and Vampiro continue to do damage control on the crowd, baby-facing this guy. Why? Well, in part because Pentagon Jr.'s control sections go on too long. Secondly, Pentagon Jr. has not been presented with a babyface opponent who is really sympathetic. Arhenis is the first one, and I don't even know that he's really sympathetic. The crowd doesn't have any real attachment to this guy. Who would have been perfect, just off the top of my head, is Pimpernella, or Masquerita, or even, even Sexy Star. And you could set up this match by having Dario Cueto feed Sexy Star to Pentagon. So this is a match that shouldn't be happening, and Pentagon could be the cool guy and take it easy on Sexy Star, as per usual in Lucha Underground. And we'll talk about the trivializing version of this with Ivelisse. But instead, Pentagon could just come at her full force, beat the shit out of Sexy Star, break her arm, and you know what? He's treating her like all the other men, which is a lot better than that Angelico and Ivelisse match. And we'll get to that in a second. I'm going to keep teasing it. But that match, 
uh, just the, it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. So uh, that's my thoughts on the Pentagon Junior angle. It's good. I'm, the guy's clearly a bad guy, and they're not getting that reaction. Writing should have caught on to this after segments. I don't know. Let's say two. This guy's getting over. Maybe try something different with Vinny. See if you can get Vinny over. But the reality is, is none of the guys that Pentagon has faced have been sympathetic. Arhenis, just not enough crowd attachment. Moving on, we get two vignettes this week with Katrina. And Katrina appears first to Phoenix. And she talks to Phoenix and basically is pulling Phoenix's string, saying, you need to go and fight Mil Muertes. It's not going to stop until you kill the man of a thousand deaths. All right, so she kind of appears and disappears, and then we see her appear and disappear to Mil Muertes, or Mil Muertes. She says, like, Mil Muertes, and, like, now it's getting all stuck in my head, but maybe we should just be calling him Pascual Mendoza, and that was a really interesting piece of writing because what it did is it teased out some vulnerability in Mil that we haven't seen in the previous weeks. Uh, or, well, we have seen a little bit of that. I guess that's what the rock thing was, right? It just didn't come off like that. And it's good that they're doing this. And I like this storyline now because we have Katrina as the villainess. And you have sympathetic enough characters right now or sort of shades of gray trending sympathetic in Mill and Phoenix. Phoenix should know better but he still seems like a good guy so we still think he's more probably on the good side of the ledger. And Mill almost seems like a victim. Like, Katrina showed up and showed Mill the way, but maybe she's always been about this age, which means she took a scared little boy and turned him into her big monster. Interesting dynamic there. And it's something that works really well for the Mill character because Mill has been wrestling matches where he's just been kicking the shit out of people and with the exception of Phoenix, the losses to Phoenix and then the loss in Aztec Warfare, but that is what that was. And Mill has been getting over with the crowds because I think in 2015 what we've seen is a general trend in wrestling and this is even true with Kevin Owens or was true with Kevin Owens until he became a bad guy, although people still like the work work style, they just... Kevin Owens is doing enough things to stay bad and be a... He's being a dick. It's actually... It's a great heel gimmick. But what what I'm getting at is that people like no-nonsense shit kickers. People who are just getting into the ring to kick someone's ass. It's, it's part of the reason why people like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar doesn't talk too much before the matches. He says what you'd expect a, a fighter to say going into a match, which is, I think I'm going to kick the other guy's ass because I'm the better fighter. I expect almost any fighter to say that. I would expect Muhammad Ali to say that. There's a bit of bluster and braggadocio and also, like, the necessity of thinking you're going to win. Why would you ever enter into a fight that you think you're going to lose? Because you will more than likely lose that fight. It just behooves you, whether or not it's true or not, to delude yourself into thinking you're going to win the fight. But, you know, in Brock Lesnar's case, he says he's going to do something. He goes out. He does it. And then he keeps kicking ass. And you could even argue Brock's been booked too strong. Mil Muertes, similar thing. He just comes down to the ring, he kicks people's asses, and that's it. He's done. 
even Pentagon Jr., I think the, the idea that writing had was, well, we'll have him go too far after all of the matches. Surely the crowd will think that this is bad. They won't think throwing a guy through a table and then snapping his arm is something we should cheer for, but it's not fucking working. And I think the thing that we're seeing, the dynamic that we're seeing here, is that wrestling fans or even combat sports fans like a guy with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder who goes out and does what he says he is going to do without saying over and over he's going to do it, without over-talking, it's a fine line. You don't want to be Roman Reigns every week saying, I can do this. But, you know, you want to be more like Brock Lesnar. Hell, you even want to be like Mill. You don't have to say much of anything. You just have to go out and do it. Less is more with these type of characters. And I think that's why this sort of monster shit-kicking heel doesn't work right now. It's why they keep getting over his faces. Just a more broad thought on wrestling in the state of 2015, right? Okay, let's move on to Conan. He's getting a new staff. It's going to be made out of metal. Where's Prince Puma? That's all I got to say about that. And He's the champion. I I get it. Conan's an important character. He is just like all these sort of, uh, like Katrina, because she can interact with a lot of wrestlers. You need to make sure that they get a lot of these vignette times. But goddamn, man, Puma doesn't say anything and he doesn't wrestle every week, but he's the champion. And we need to see him sometimes. It's, you don't want to overexpose him, but this is underexposure. I, I don't really have any other way of putting it than that. King Cuerno in his blue truck. Just more good Cuerno stuff. I really like this guy. He's got a good work rate. He is methodical. There's stuff that he does in the cage match that is both heel pacing and lucha inspired. And he's a luchador. He's from Mexico. But he's just great. What isn't great? This turd in the middle of this sandwich with this wonderful ciabatta bread is this Angelico versus Ivelisse match. Where do I even begin? I've got like so I've got more fucking notes for this than I've got for Pentagon or Hennis, Katrina and Phoenix, Conan, and Cuerno. And everything else we've covered up to then almost as much. Actually, yeah, I'm letting it up. Just about as many as the main event here. And the I wish it was laudatory. It's not. Uh, so, we once again get the Matt Striker. We're just going to let the ring work speak for ourselves. Gender equality for <laughs> herky-durky. Yes, okay, Matt, I get it. It's 2015. Do you get it? Uh, does this show get it? Because if you're going to have Ivelisse or intergender wrestling, eventually one of these women has to start working a style that reflects, yes, they are smaller, but they are also faster and they have a greater sense of urgency and perhaps are trying to overcompensate with increased aggression. And if anyone should be the perfect casting for this role, it's Ivelisse, the baddest bitch in the building. And there's a starting section of this match where Ivelisse get some offense after some initial angelical sexualizing because we couldn't just start a match because we couldn't just book her to come out kicking the shit out of this guy and making him realize that you know oh by the way there was supposed to be like a number one contendership claim on the line for Ivelisse here and she doesn't wrestle with that sense of urgency so there's all of that 
Um, Vamp, when he's introducing Evil East, and you know what's funny is that, by and large, Vampiro and Striker were better, and there's points where, like, Vampiro's connecting dots, where he says people don't like prima donnas in the Lucha Underground during the Pentagon match, but then he catches himself and goes, but there's a couple of prima donnas, and then out comes Angelico, one of the prima donnas, and I'm assuming the other one is Johnny Mundo, because we've established Vampiro's character doesn't like Johnny Mundo. Which is, which is fun and fun. But he sexualizes Ivelisse going, I've read the uh, rumors online and they are true. She is a hottie. Fuck me. Good God. The Sin of Havoc story arc, I will say in this whole thing, is fun. He is a baby face. The crowd likes this guy. They're cheering for him. And vampiro does make a good point about son of havoc containing his temper and how can he contain his temper it's almost too good of a point because like why would Quedo put son of havoc in this match in the first place unless he just likes drama as mess striker intones in the main event <laughs> he's probably in the office drinking scotch and playing with his nose uh, and i'm assuming he doesn't mean pick his nose it's the the Intonation there is that Dario Cueto does cocaine. So, what is his motivation for putting Son of Havoc in this match? I, I don't know. Search me. And why doesn't Son of Havoc attack Angelico at any point during this match? Especially if he's willing to cheat in all these other ways. It felt feels like during that cutscene last week, Dario Cueto should have looked at Son of Havoc and said, and I expect you to call this right down the middle. And if he had just said that... Those sorts of questions, you don't even ask those. Anyways, this match definitely undermines the gender equality argument. Angelico oscillates between a few different positions. We have, well, yeah, I mean that in more ways than one. He starts off by, you know, getting her into standard wrestling holds and then sexualizing them because, guys, I don't know if you noticed, but if you grab a woman from behind, you know, like in a waist lock, you're almost taking your Johnson near a hoo-ha. Hey, now. Yeah, so that was fun. And it turns out that happens when you're going for pins, too. Woo-woo! Ugh, I just, it doesn't, it does nothing for me. And I want, if you're going to say, like, this gender equality stuff and sort of have this, like, dismissive waving of the hands every time we have these matches like poo-pooed I don't want these criticisms well then I as the reviewer slash critic want to actually see this presentation or I want to not see it at all you don't have to do it I'm just saying so Angelico doesn't want to hit her and when he does hit her he doesn't one, when he does hit her, it she oversells because it really kicks her ass, and she oversells in a way that you wouldn't sell if you were a man. And there's just this whole special wrestling approach for women, so that's really gender equality. Ivelisse even gets into a position where she can't pull off submissions because she's too weak. You couldn't present Ivelisse more weak after the like minute one to minute three of this match. After she does the corkscrew plancha to the outside in Angelico, everything moves into this sort of gender dismissive match. And it's, oh, it sucks. It sucks. Son of Havoc helping, I want to clarify. I'm fine with Son of Havoc helping. Son of Havoc is still effectively a heel, and Ivelisse is certainly a heel, and she's a bitch by her own admission. That's the whole character. And Son of Havoc should be helping his girlfriend. I don't have a problem with that, and I'm not saying that 
is the stuff that nerfs the gender the gender equality issues in this presentation. What I am saying, because if Son of Havoc was helping, like, if he was the special referee for his tag team partner, he would be doing the same thing. And Ivelisse and him are have been tag team partners. You know what I mean? So it, it makes some sense within that context. He should be helping. And he should be calling this not down the middle. He should be calling this in favor of his partner, particularly if his partner is his girlfriend. The match booking, on the other hand, just makes her look weak. It makes her look like someone who isn't fit to be number one contender or even be in that sort of title hunt, which goes back to my criticism of Aztec warfare and on and on it goes. But these things all chain together and these things all matter. And if you botch these sorts of things in presentation, then there are ripple effects. And that is definitely what we're seeing here. So, yeah, Angelico's never in any real danger in this match. And this match ends when he hits a Pele kick to her. He goes to hit her with a crucifix, which was sort of overkill. And then at the end of the match, I'm still not really clear if Angelico's a heel. Son of Havoc wants the beating to stop and also wants uh, Angelico to stop placing his face in Ivelisse's crotch. So he counts fast, and that's the end of the match. Ivelisse is upset. Angelico sort of runs off. Son of Havoc is, you know, forced to stop the match after his girlfriend gets her ass kicked. So... That was a real win for gender equality, guys. <laughs> ah, God damn it. I just, like, I don't even know what to say about things like that at the end of it. Because it's... If, you, if that's what you're going to do, why even do it? Why even do it? Especially when we can move into this cage match that is good. So, we have King Cuerno versus Johnny Mundo. This is a good match. And I think commentary is largely good on this. Vampiro does... An interesting comparison initially with Cuerno going from being the hunter to being the predator, which, with a slightly more savvy commentary team, would be the morality tale for King Cuerno in this match. And what I mean by that is King Cuerno was a methodical hunter who was hanging out in the rafters and who was thinking about his every move. And Johnny Mundo has gotten under his skin. And you could even argue that Johnny Mundo got under his skin when he pinned King Cuerno in Aztec Warfare. So, Cuerno let this get personal. And he went from being the cold, icy, methodical hunter to showing some, not too much, but some emotion. And that could have been his fatal error. But this almost feels like a thing that happens in passing because later we get this really weird thing where Stryker brings up <laughs> the evilness of being a hunter and I'm not a guns guy and I'm not a hunting guy but I don't necessarily think hunters are evil especially not if they're eating their prey it's just hunting and I would never say an animal is evil for hunting and I would never say that like a native hunting for wild boar because like they're human and they're hunting out of necessity I would I just wouldn't say, like, emotionally that hunting, or more morality-wise, hunting is evil. So, there's my grand philosophical thought on that. But then Vampiro gave me something that I've had to think about for days on end, which is, yeah, but what about the evilness of the prey that fights back? What? What the fuck? I, they're just, there's not enough drinking I can do on a weekend that can make that make sense. 
Cuerno works a great pacing in this match. He's working after the leg, although to that point, there is not enough of the leg thread that had been pulled through this storyline. I, I was kind of disappointed to see that go to the wayside here and not be more of a factor. Mundo isn't really selling it throughout this, but Cuerno does continue to go to work on it. It's just Mundo kind of doesn't sell it. So, not Cuerno's fault. Not Cuerno's fault. Um, oh, the fence. The fence. Let's talk about the fence. The, the fence is not high enough. Uh, now, obviously, the response to this might be, well, but gee, doctor, uh, gee, doctor Chris Nove, don't you think that the fence, if it was higher, would be more dangerous for Johnny Mundo? Well, surely, but there's a credibility gap when Cuerno and Mundo get up on the fence, and Cuerno, at one point, there's like just a direct head-on shot. And it's very obvious that he could just sort of dump his torso over and let gravity do the work, catch himself on the way down, and he wins the match. Fence needs to be a little bit higher than your waistline so that that can't happen. And in this case, for me, the fence was too low. Now, obviously, I think that the spot that Johnny Mundo does at the end here, the uh, what's he used to call it, the Starship Pain, it's not the Fin, fin Del Mundo, the, the end of the world. You know, that's a fun play on words. So he does that off of the top of the cage at the end of the match, and it's totally awesome. But, you know, I'd rather him not do that and the cage be higher so that it's more plausible that these guys are actually caged in. Because I, I, I was joking around while I was writing these notes and kept referring to it as a fence match. It did feel a little bit more like a fence than a cage. Cuerno does get some support from the crowd. There is a lot of Mundo control in this. And Johnny Mundo's knee that I don't totally dig looks really good when he goes for it in this match. Mundo could have left pretty early in this match, and he doesn't. And at the key kind of dramatic part of this match, King Cuerno is about to make his way out of the cage. And then Johnny Mundo goes heel. He goes for the mask. Johnny Mundo wants to win this match so bad that he grabs the mask. Now, you could say this isn't heel. It, you could say it is. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see where this goes. But you know, especially for someone like Cuerno, who has never been unmasked in any of his incarnations, and the mask is definitely being played up as sacred, the commentary stops short of pushing it as you know, kind of a dastardly move by Johnny Mundo. But... Certainly, it's real close to a low blow. You know, he's hitting Cuerno where it hurts. If someone was working a match where they were trying to take off someone else's mask, or, you know, or even went to that play, that would generally get booed. Anyways, this ends with Cuerno getting tossed off the cage. Johnny Mundo could escape, doesn't escape, instead goes for the Fin Del Mundo off the top of the cage, and wins the rivalry as Matt Stryker puts it, which is really weird. I think that there's a better phrasing, a less uh, insidery phrasing, like making sure King Cuerno has no doubt or removing all doubt from King Cuerno's mind. S something. I, I know this is kind of a Jim Ross type of complaint, but in this case, it it's weird because, like, fucking, fuck, Mike, Matt Stryker, you don't know that King Cuerno's done. You know, what you do know is that Johnny Mundo is trying to put a nail in this guy's coffin, you know, put this guy in the rearview mirror, send him packing, 
all of that. And that is your episode. Johnny Mundo stands tall at the end from the steel cage. King Cuerno doesn't get made in this episode, which is a disappointment because obviously, you know, we have a babyface champion and he feels like a natural opponent for Prince Puma. But it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. And he didn't look bad in this match. If anything, I think he's slowly connecting with the crowd. And this is something perhaps Wrighty needs to take note of. The longer you bring these guys out in front of this audience, the more and more exposure they get to them, especially if they keep having good matches. They're just going to naturally be over. King Cuerno works a style of match where you can get very familiarized with his spots. He works slow, so you can see them coming. You know when they're going to be big. It it lends itself to being able to emotionally attach to the moveset. Now, they've done a great job keeping um, a dastardly, methodical hunter and keeping him positioned against people who we don't like, and that's why he's still a heel. But if King Cuerto was just, you know, going in there and whooping the shit out of our Hennis and Ricky Mandel, then, you know, wouldn't be like that. Just food for thought as we wrap up the episode here. I want to thank you all so much for listening. Go to voiceofwrestling.com. You can leave feedback on this show. But if you really want to help out the show, help out all of our shows, not just my show, but Rob's show and Rich and Joe's show, you can go to iTunes and write a review on iTunes. That helps get visibility up. And you can also, I think we're on Stitcher. Go, go over to Stitcher. Maybe we're on Stitcher. If we're not on Stitcher, then, you know, I'm an idiot. And whatever. You can hit me up on Twitter and tell me I'm an idiot. At C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. I want to thank you all so much for listening. And until the next one, cheers. There is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.